Mark chapter 6. Thank you, worship team. Thanks, Mike. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Okay, I'm going to need you all to help me right now. Um, Sometimes, on Wednesday nights, we, we have prayer meeting, and I, I really invite you to come on Wednesday. If you could come, and we, we, right now we're studying on evangelism, and then we spend time praying for the church. One of the things we do when several of us pray for the church, when we finish praying as a way of all, and everybody will say, amen. And so sometimes I forget that I've told you a few times, but sometimes I'll pray and then I'll say amen and I don't hear anything. And I'm like, do they disagree with me? Um, Were they not listening? So will you help me right now? I'm going to pray a very brief prayer asking God to work. And if you agree with this prayer, would you say amen with me? After after I say amen, I won't go. Sometimes it's confusing. If I slow and go, in Jesus' name, and we all say it together, I'm going to just say Jesus' name, amen, and then you echo it, amen. Dear Father, (laughs) thank you. See, okay, we need a little more action in here, okay? We had a visitor from Pennsylvania that was here for graduation. She was sitting right up here where Julie is. She was visiting. After every song, she was clapping. Wow, she's bringing some energy here. And I, I grew up hearing that if you clap, you were applauding everybody and we were praising man. That can be the case, but that's usually if there's special music. Here, we're just, man, just so excited and thankful. That's what I think that's what she meant. So let's, let's take a deep breath. I'm going to pray, and you, if you agree, say amen. Father, we ask that you'd feed us now, that we might live, believe, obey, delight, and enjoy you now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Verse 30, one of my favorite passages, maybe my favorite passage in the book of Mark. I'm not sure why. I just, I love what it teaches and I love what it means for us even as disciples. I want to read it here. Follow along. Mark 6, 30 through 44. It says here that the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. If you were to go back, you'd see that they were casting out demons. They were preaching the word. They were doing miracles in Jesus' name. Verse 31. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, surrounding countryside and villages and by themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them 
it to them to eat. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, five and two fishes, two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and Taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves, gave it to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men." This is clearly a miracle of the Lord, the Son of God. Now, in my study, I I just wanted to share with you about this miracle. This truly was a miracle, and there are certain people that throughout, especially the last 150 years in certain churches, that just have a hard time coming to grips with the fact that there are miracles. Well, Miracles, we don't see miracles. Miracles don't happen. So these are just stories that are meant like fairy tales to teach us a spiritual truth. So there have been some crazy preachers and theologians and teachers that have taught that this story is about something else. Okay, the worst stories, some people would say, is Jesus had this occurrence. He wanted to prove that he was the greater Moses And so he must have gathered these crowds by a cave and he had a cave full of food and he had long flowing robes and he would have his disciples pass food through his robes and he would pass them on to the disciples and he really didn't do a miracle because miracles don't really happen and he passed on the food out to all the crowds and it was an amazing trick or feat. He was like one of those fake musician, uh, magicians with a trick. Now, that's a pretty crazy explanation, if you ask me. And it's an explanation of a lack of faith because, well, you see, Jesus was the Son of Man. He was the greater Moses. He is the one that's providing manna. Some like to describe this miracle and say, well, it, it's, it's a miracle, a human miracle. It's an ethical miracle. See, all these selfish people were gathering And Jesus was about to disperse them, but then he thought, hey, is there somebody that has bread? Oh, five loaves and two fish. Oh, the boy is willing to share. And everybody broke out their lunches and started sharing with everyone. And it was a miracle of sharing. And see, the story is about sharing. And I don't think so. What stood out to you about this passage? Take a look at it. Take a look at the passage one more time. The disciples go. They come back and Jesus says, let's go take a break. You're tired. The crowds won't let them. The crowds follow them to their hiding place, to their their place of desolation, to their place of, of escape. And it says that Jesus saw the crowds and not, it was not irritated, but he saw them like a shepherdless people, an image in the Old Testament of either the king, when the kings of Israel were wicked and the people of Israel were scattered and leaderless when it comes down to a spiritual leader, 
or the people of Israel in the wilderness who desperately needed a shepherd like Moses, people and has compassion on them, and he began to teach them many things. This passage I want us to see this morning, I believe that Mark intends for us to see this morning, is that Jesus Christ is the all-powerful Son of God, the Son of God that we've seen in the past stories and the past miracles over the last couple weeks, that anyone that was ill almost that came to him, whether they be a leper or a paralyzed man, or even with someone with a fever, anyone that would almost touch him, he touched them or they were touched, he touched, they touched him, and they were healed. He had power over all illnesses and diseases like no one had ever seen, and he had power over the supernatural, the cosmic powers of darkness. Demons were confronted, confronted Jesus and immediately obeyed because slayer. And now he comes. And you have this story. He's with his disciples. John describes it as, boy, they're just following him like crazy because he's healing the sick. And of of course, that's very understandable that there would be a big crowd for somebody this uh, making such a splash in the Galilean countryside. And they're, they're, they're mobbing him now. They don't even have room to eat. So they go to a desolate place. They surround him. They follow him. Jesus continues to teach him. And, and imagine the story now. It's getting late, and the disciples, they're thinking, it's late. They're going to be stuck out here. They're really hungry. They're, they're going to get hungry. We have a disaster on our hands if we don't watch it. Master, it's getting late. Shouldn't we send them away to get something to eat so that they can go take care of their, their, their food problem? And let's, let's send them off. Jesus throws them for a loop when he says, you give them something to eat. <laughs> give them something to eat? What, what do you mean? Uh, we, would we use 200 denarii and, and get them? And another gospel says 200 denarii wouldn't even like basically barely start their appetite going even more. I mean, it's just, it would only give them a little bit, and that wouldn't even take care of it at all. And and Jesus has something else in mind. What's going on in this passage? We all come in this life, and I bet you're here this morning, whether you are a father, a mother, a student, whether you are thinking about your job or your finances or your sickness or your trial that you have in front of your life this week, whatever your responsibility is in life, in any of those things I just described as a student, as a son or a daughter, as a parent, we all have been given heavy responsibilities. All the disciples in this story were given some pretty big responsibilities early on in this chapter. They go and they, they preach the gospel and they, they did things in Jesus' name. And Jesus is wanting to teach them about discipleship. But Jesus knows that they cannot do their job as a disciple of Jesus rightly until they understand who Jesus is rightly. And in understanding who Jesus is rightly, put their trust, their full dependence 
and obedience in this Jesus, resting in him. And Jesus slowly by slowly and surely through Mark is bringing them to more knowledge of who this Jesus is. And just like us, we so desperately need as disciples of Jesus, if we really are disciples, we need to know this Jesus as we face the tasks, the trials, the jobs that God has put into our lives. Some of you are called to be a parent. Do you realize that God intends for you to be a soul shaper? You are meant to be one of the chief influencers of helping your children have a God awareness and a God submission in their life. All of us, if we are Christians, are surrounded in our neighborhoods and work or school with people that do not believe God, or if they say they believe God, they have never put their full trust and repented of their sins. They haven't put their full trust in Jesus. And God puts you in their lives in order to bring them the gospel, in order that they will be saved. I mean, isn't that how you were saved? Either your parents or someone else in your life cared enough that they realized they have a mission and they need to tell, share the gospel with you? Well, this passage brings us to seeing Jesus the great shepherd, and I want you to, and Jesus' disciples, and Jesus' means of using his disciples. I want us to see. Jesus as our, his children, if we are God's children, if we are Jesus' disciples, we are his under-shepherds in a sense. We are his, not, we are not shepherds, he's the shepherd, but we are his means to do a work. And we're going to see this in this passage. Do you see Jesus in this passage as the good shepherd? You are meant to. If you are to gaze upon this passage, you see He feeds them. And how does he feed them? He begins by feeding them, by teaching them. Verse 34, it says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. You see that one of our greatest needs, even though it is not a felt need, we need the teaching of God's word. We need to be fed by God in his word. And Jesus knew this crowd needed something more than food. This crowd needed something more than healing. This crowd needed God's living word. He need, they needed the gospel. And so we need the gospel. But do you see also the picture of what's going on in the story? That he has them sit down. And he has them sit down on green grass. I wonder if, you know, later as as Mark is recording this and they remember it was green grass and probably because it was the spring and that's the one season of, of green grass in the Galilean countryside. But I wonder if they're thinking, ah, Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This is a shepherd that does that. If if we're studying chapter by chapter or paragraph by paragraph, or if you read ahead in Mark, you're going to see that Jesus is going to walk on the water and he's going to calm the sea 
You see, because he also leads his people beside still waters. He is that kind of shepherd. And then you find that this shepherd feeds and provides his sheep physically. They eat their full. They are satisfied. He is the great shepherd. He's better than Moses who fed the people in Israel in the wilderness with manna or Elijah when he fed that widow and or through God's power, and the widow kept on having more and more provided for her in First Kings. You see, this man, Jesus, comes because he really is the Son of God. Jesus is the great shepherd who feeds to satisfaction his sheep. Do you believe that? It is, it is more... Christianity is not just about saying, I know that Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins. I know that, but I got that taken care of. I'm going to move on in my life. Christianity, the Christian faith is a discipleship that says, Jesus is my shepherd. A shepherd that laid down his life for me and is, continues to be my shepherd who provides for my needs And he defines what those needs are. My greatest need is to know my Father in heaven and to obey my my Savior Jesus and to follow him. I was meant for this. He is my shepherd. Do you know the shepherd? What does a shepherd do? A shepherd knows his sheep. Oh, Jesus knows every one of you better than you know yourself. He knows you better than your spouse or your parent. He knows you better than your children know you. He knows you better than your best friend could ever know you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your brokenness. He knows your strengths. He made any strength that you have, and he loves you in and through any weakness or disturbing trait that you could have, and he loves you in order to shape and make you his own in a greater way. That is the shepherd that knows us. But that knowing shepherd is committed to feeding his sheep, protecting his sheep, and leading his sheep. And in this passage, we see him leading through the word of God, teaching them and saying, you are called to this. And we're going to see that through the rest of Mark, but he feeds them. I just want to encourage you on this Father's Day, on this Lord's Day, however this day hits you emotionally, whether right now it hits you with like, blah, it's just another day, it's rainy, or I'm excited about this day. I get to rest. I get to relax. I'm going to have a great meal. We're going to go out. I want you to look to Jesus as your shepherd. I love what John Newton, the old hymn writer, who is known for his pastoral letters, he would write to congregation or people that would write him. John Newton, 300 years ago, wrote a letter to a struggling woman about this shepherd. And he said, I doubt not, but the Lord whom you love and on whom you depend will lead you in a sure way and establish and strengthen and settle you in his love and grace. Indeed, He has done great things for you already. The Lord is your shepherd. A comprehensive word. Do nothing for themselves. The shepherd must guide, guard, feed, heal, recover. Well for us that our shepherd is the almighty. If his power, care, compassion, fullness were not infinite... 
The poor sheep would be forsaken, starved, and worried. But we have a shepherd full of care, full of kindness, full of power, who has said, I will seek that which is lost. I will bind up what is broken. I'll bring again that which is driven away, and I'll strengthen those who are sick. That is our shepherd. So if you are to pause, I want you to pause and gaze upon this passage, and I pray that by God's Holy Spirit, and in just a minute we're going to take of this meal, we'll just, we'll just drink in the reality. Jesus, even if right now I don't feel it, you're my shepherd. You sustain me. You saved me, and you will not let me go, and you're going to meet my needs, and you're going to help me even when I'm, I'm depressed or joyful, when I'm sick or I'm feeling healthy, when I feel overwhelmed or when I feel things are under control, It's all in you. You must care for me, good shepherd. Help me to depend on you and follow you and feed from you. Here's Jesus, the good shepherd. But I want you to see, because I believe Mark wants us to see in this passage, that Jesus is teaching his disciples about his means. Each one of you, between now and when you go to be with God someday, when you die, God is in the process of shepherding you. But how is he going to feed, lead, and protect, namely to shepherd you? God is going to use, Jesus is going to use his disciples. The way that you will be shepherded, cared for, provided for by this great shepherd is by Jesus' disciples. And do you know who Jesus' disciples are today? You guys. All of us. What we find in this story, I I see, is I'm going to just give you five quick principles or lessons that relate to us as Jesus' means of shepherding his people. Jesus didn't go, 5,000 need food. Disciples, stand to the side. I got this. He did have this. He did provide it. He did shepherd them. But do you see how he brings his disciples into it for the shepherding of the 5,000? Here are the five things I want you to see. Number one, Jesus often does his mighty works by means of his disciples. He he, he does that here. We see Jesus feeding feeding the multitude through the disciples. And this is true in in our lives. This is true in in providence, in creation. God, every meal that you have had has been provided to you by your good shepherd, and he has used certain means in your life. God has cared for you financially. God has cared for your food, even as a little child, and he used mommy, and he used daddy, but it was God using them and taking care of you. As Martin Luther would say, God milks the cows through the milkmaids. And so God works through his disciples, through gospel-saving ministry. God today is shepherding your you, and he's using you to shepherd your children. God is bringing his grace of gospel through you to your children and to each other in this room and to this community God has called and intended to provide his way through you. 
And so this passage should just be like a wake-up if it, if, if it of the means in which the shepherd intends to care for those around me. So first of all, Jesus does often does his mighty works like he does here through his disciples. But I want you to see the second thing. Jesus commands his disciples to do humanly impossible things. You see that in this passage. He commands his disciples to do something humanly impossible. 5,000 men, that could mean maybe another three to five or 10, maybe even 10,000, I don't know, just speculating. If it was 5,000 men, there's more than 5,000 people. I mean, that is a lot of people. We, if on a, on a packed Sunday, we have maybe 200 and some. Uh, so just start thinking about that if you were to start providing for everybody's meal here. 5,000. And, and Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Does it feel like that in your life that Jesus has given you tasks and it feels impossible? You see that we are called to impossible tasks all the time. We're called to, this, this book in Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. When you're really discouraged, does that feel like an impossible command to delight yourself in the Lord? It does, but you're called to do so. We're called to disciple the nations. We're called to disciple our neighbors, our coworkers, our family. We're called to call sinners to repentance. And we're called to love our spouse. You were to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. You are to lay your life down for your wife in, in a daily, I, my life for your life way. I'll tell you what, with, with the sin nature of all of us in our flesh flaming, flaming up within, that is an impossible task in and of itself left to myself. Parents, you are called to raise your kids in the Lord. You are to point them to Jesus all, your, all their lives. You are to, to love the Lord your God and love your God unto your children in such a way. And I want to say to you, all of those things are just as impossible as feeding 5,000 people when all you have is five loaves and two fish. I, I read this week a marriage book preface or the first chapter. It started out like this, and it just reminded me of this impossible task that all of us are called to. He started the book by saying, the book you're holding in your hand, the book you're holding in your hand is probably going to hit you right between the eyes. It may disturb you greatly. It will no doubt convict you of things that you had no idea were wrong in your life. It may even make you angry, so angry that you may, you may want to throw it against the wall or tear it to shreds. Nobody consistently can consistently do the things that are written in this book. Let me be the first to sympathize with those sentiments. It is impossible for any man to consistently do what the Bible says without the assistance of the Holy Spirit's enabling power. So if you're not a Christian, that is, if you have not put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal salvation, you will not be able to properly apply the contents of this book to your life. I say that because if you have not turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do not have the Holy Spirit who God gives to those who by His enabling power repent of their sins and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And I want to stop here and invite any of you, if you do not know the saving power of Jesus, having come in your life, that you would repent of your sins. And you say, what does that mean? I would love to talk to you after the service. And so that you would know and understand and trust and have the saving love first. But the point here is, brothers and sisters, friends, teenagers, you're given impossible tasks to be completed in and of yourself with your own resources, just like these disciples. Thirdly, not only is it an impossible task, Jesus uses the little his disciples have to do these impossible tasks. You see this? He didn't just say, go do it, and then he goes, I know you can't do it, so I'm going to show you how. He, He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. How many? Okay. They come back, five, five loaves, two fish. And he uses those loaves. Then he came, had them all sit down in the group of green grass, in groups of 50s and 100s. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he blessed it. You see, God uses us, the little us that we are, He uses you, the little you that you are. He uses we together, the the few that we are, to to be his means to shepherd. Dad, you're here today and you think, I haven't been a good dad in the past. I look with regrets, a lot of regrets, but boy, they they weren't very great either. Or look what I got from my dad. Or you might look and say, I'm thankful, or it could be somewhere in between. But dads, the type of task that we're even called, and you never stop being a dad, we're called to our completely impossible, but God intends to use just little you, weak you, weak me. Little insignificant, as insignificant as five loaves and two fish would be to feeding 5,000, and he intends to use that little And oh God, I hope that this passage, as we see that God is using these bumbling, unbelieving, they're kind of believing, but they're still confused disciples. They have faith, but boy, they they need a lot more faith. They use these weak disciples, and Jesus wants to teach them, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use the little you have, be faithful with the little you have. Did you see the kind of excuses these disciples were trying to use? It's late, so we need to get going. And we really don't have enough, so we need to send them away. I mean, those are a lot of times the excuses we might use in our lives. Well, God, you could use me, but I just really don't have a lot of time. I'm just so busy in my life. And and also... I mean, it's late in my life. I've kind of wasted it, but now I'm, I'm getting too old, and I... I'm just really past my prime, and so I don't know if I could be used of God. God, it's not too late for God to work and use you now, and he will give you the energy and the time to do what he wants to do through you to the people around you, including in this room, including part of your family. Oh, we use excuses as we take the little that we have, we look at it, and we forget about the power that God has. 
I'm, I'm reading with the deacons and the elders a little booklet called Faithfulness, Being Faithful. And it, the subtitle says, No Excuses. And there's a little section that says, what are some of the excuses we use when God tells us to do impossible things? Well, we, we use excuses like, I can't. I can't forgive him. I can't go back to my wife. I can't stop that habit. I can't do this and I can't do that and because I just, I just can't. And yet, this passage is pointing to, I can't. Yet, God can. God can through me and he calls us to a type of dependent obedience. I want to move along here and I want you to not only see that he uses the little, but this is really important. Number four, before it's effective. If we could really just ponder that here. Uh, I want to be used by God as a pastor that will preach sermons weekly that would make you love God more, be changed into his image, to follow Jesus, that if you're, if you're sitting here and you've never been saved or born again, I pray that you'd be born again through the word of God and the preaching of God's word. I pray that we as a church would have a ministry that would that would minister to spiritual needs, see changed lives, lives that go into our communities and impact people for the gospel, raise up missionaries and plant churches in our community, be an example of a light to our community as we care for the poor and the downtrodden, be a hospital for sinners, be a place where bitter people find forgiveness and freedom where people that are so discouraged and discontent find satisfaction in Jesus, people that come and realize Jesus is our all in all, not something else. I long for that, but I can't do that. You can't do that. And so we are so dependent on him to bless the little that we offer. You this week are called to minister to one another in this church. Jesus says, love do that if we're members in our covenant. And so, I must declare this principle. If I'm going to be the pastor that God calls me to be, if the other pastors in this church, the deacons, the members, if you parents are going to be the parents, if you in your job, if you students in your relationships with your friends or boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever it is, are going to be and live what God that impossible thing that God wants you to be and do. Jesus must first bless the little before it's effective. You see that Jesus takes the five loaves, two fish, and he blessed it. Oh, that Jesus would bless us. He'd bless our work, our efforts. Oh, that Jesus would bless right now those serving in the children's church and God would work and use their little effort, their their. What seems little in the world's eyes. It's beautiful. It's great. I will love it. The greeting that took place this morning will happen week after week. God will just take that little effort that's not significant in the world's eyes. This is not a significant thing going on in the world's eyes. And he'll take this little and he'll bless it. And he will be glorified and lives will be changed. You see, the psalmist says in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, all our labor is in vain. And so this week, as you think about your being a father, conversations with my kids, my, my, even my praying for my kids, 
by disciplining my kids, by loving my kids, by sending encouragements to my kids. If no matter what it is your task as a mom or as an employee or employer or as a student or you're now done with school and you're thinking about how to live out this summer, get on your knees and say, oh God, help me. Would you bless my efforts this year? Because I can't do it apart from your help. We are powerless people apart from his work. I love power pads when I have a bunch of things I have to plug into, like by my TV. I'll have my DVD player and my DirecTV and maybe a Chromecast. I have all those things plugged in. And you could plug them all in, and it could be a really expensive unit. I mean, it's like one of those, if it protects against power surges and all of that, and it has 8 to 10 there, and there's power switches on there. Here's the thing. As good as and expensive and as high quality as that power pad and everything plugged into that power pad is, it is of no value if the other end doesn't get plugged into the wall, doesn't get plugged into an outlet. We could have an amazing gifts set. We could have finances and energy. We could have skills. We could have a lot of Bible knowledge and a part from us being connected so desperately and dependently in our Father. And so we must go to Him daily. We must come to Him for help. And if we don't know how to do it, we should ask others to help us do it and to hold us accountable to do it. The last thing I want you to see is that Jesus works in His disciples as they act in obedient Dependence. These disciples, okay, they come to Jesus and Jesus prays, and there they are. And they, I wonder if they went from unbelief, skepticism, confusion, maybe annoyance by Jesus' way, to all of a sudden seeing the food starting to multiply. And Jesus says, You give them to them, and they start. Jesus said, You give them something to eat, and Jesus let them give them something to eat. And it says here, the disciples were setting it before them. They were giving, he was giving it to the disciples and the disciples were feeding it. And it says that they had 12 baskets left over and it says they all ate and were satisfied. That is the type of shepherd that comes to us. He didn't just give them little samples to hold them off until they could get to a real meal. He gave them food until they were satisfied. The reason why we wanted to have communion today It's not the first Sunday of the week. Usually on the first Sunday of the week, we have communion. But we said, we we need to be fed by our Lord in a special way, in the way that he designed it for us. And so this morning, we're going to take of the Lord's Supper. In fact, I'm going to invite the musicians, the the worship team, if you'd come on up. And I'm going to invite the elders and deacons to come up, and you can have a seat here.